This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. Bianca's accepted the challenge for Becky Lynch. It's official. The bell rings. And here we go. Belair Lynch for the SmackDown Women's title at SummerSlam. I thought we had too many dream matches tonight. And we somehow add one more. And Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch is taking care of business with a manhandle slam. Cover on Belair. Lynch wins the title. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 Games Exclusive Pro Wrestling Podcast, and it is episode 69. It's a nice time to be a fan of the podcast. Appreciate everybody for listening in, however you're doing, so be it through your favorite podcast or whatever you do it through because trust me there's a lot of ways to get it in but i gotta say it's been an interesting last three days so many returns we got to get to all of it and we all got a certain number of time to kind of get to it but we're gonna go ahead and waste little of it and get right down to brass tacks and talk about wwe SummerSlam. let's start it off there and then we'll get to nxc takeover maybe what's next for the black and yellow brand is it still gonna be black and yellow we shall see but we got to start off talking about WWE SummerSlam. You heard it in the open. It is absolutely the one of the big things that everybody's talking about for a lot of different reasons. And we're going to start off just going through some of the main card to start things off on the pod. And we go to the kickoff show, Biggie versus Baron Corbin, which honestly I didn't care that much about. It's a lot like the NXT TakeOver kickoff match. It was just there. It existed in its own plane. Wasn't necessarily a huge fan of it. But we start off with one of my biggest observations. I've never talked about this, but number one, Baron Corbin has been an amazing part of the main roster's product every single week. But it's more and more, he is looking like Bildo Tree from King of the Hill every single week. The hair is growing back, and he 100% looks like he would be the modern-day or real-life version of Bildo Tree. The fact that he has mustard on his shirt, it makes me immediately think of him. But this was a really quick match, fine stuff here. Biggie immediately on the offensive. He had a really nice overhead belly-to-belly on Corbin that looked amazing, not only because of the fact that it's just Big E, but the size of Corbin, it was just impressive to see. The Corbin took over after E misses the big splash on the apron, which makes you wonder, does he ever really ever nail that on pay-per-view? I've never seen him actually hit that on pay-per-view. But Baron goes for a choke slam. Biggie counters with a roll up, and he hits a stretch muffler. I popped for that. I hadn't seen somebody do that in a long time. And the second he hit, I was like, "Okay, this is really cool." This match is kind of picking up the pace here. And then Corbin at one point hits a deep six for two. He tries to run with the Money in the Bank briefcase out of the ring and out of the arena before the match is over. Biggie just absolutely Braun Strowman esque trucks him straight into the barricade. Biggie hits his signature spear through the ropes, throws Corbin back in the ring, pulls the straps down. The whole crowd is chanting New Day rocks, even though he has been part of the New Day for almost an entire year. He's still part of it in canon, I guess, but it hasn't been in a tag team match with them in a hot minute. 
But he hits the big ending for the win. Really fine match, nothing spectacular. Good stuff for the pre-show. Now we get to the main card itself. We open up with what I thought was a really solid opener. It wasn't necessarily like a huge you know thing I loved, but really good. RK Bro versus AJ Styles and Omos. This was like it exceeded expectations for me, at least somewhat. And someone actually brought a sign that I couldn't help but to laugh at is the sign that says, Randy, let's wrestle naked. Like immediately I saw it, I was like, okay, this is going down in the notes because this is not what I expected. And the entrance looks a little bit different. Like this is something I, I didn't really pay all that much attention to when it comes to the like kickoff show entrances because I just wasn't paying attention to like the entrances at the time. I probably was in the other room and that came in just as the match was getting started. So they did something similar to what they've done in the past with Royal Rumbles since they've been more at baseball parks like Minute Maid and Chase Field. So that was interesting to see how that all kind of interplayed with each other. And it was cool. Wish it was pyro for the most part, but it is what it is. They had some really good stuff here. And Styles Orton opened up the contest. Perfect way to warm up the crowd. These two veterans know how to do it. RK Bro had a really nice double team where... Orton basically helped Riddle hit his float over. I guess it's a moonsault, but it's it's a little bit different. So I'd say he hits that rope assist that move, the assisted moonsault. Then Omos gets tagged in. He just decks Riddle. Riddle went for the bro mission, but Omos quickly throws the former MMA star over his head. He kept trying to get things going. Styles just absolutely was in control. They had like an assisted tornado DDT. That, honestly, we didn't need to see. It should have just been a regular Tornado DDT because it looked a little sloppy. But, again, it is what it is. This was still a really good match. Orton, hot tag, house of fire. And also, this is something I've never really thought about. But Orton, the mustache-goatee combo is absolutely cursed. He looks like an old Disney villain with the mustache and the goatee. And that's all he has. It's not even a connector to it. Like, you've got the you got the lower lower facial hair. And the mustache. It's like there's no connector, so it just looks weird. And I guarantee you, if Stone Cold had something like that, he would have never gotten over with it. But whatever. Orton just absolutely on another level. He hits the rope assistant DDT. Doesn't go for the pin. Instead, he teases the RKO. Omos gets Styles out of the ring just in time. Omos and chokeslams Riddle on the apron. And then tries to lawn dart about like five seconds later. Riddle moves out of the way. He runs into the post as is expected. And then Styles hits the moonsault DT to the outside. The fact he's still doing that at his age is always impressive. So this is really good stuff here. Then comes the finish, which was like if you didn't if you blinked, you probably missed it. It was Styles goes for the phenomenal forearm. Styles went for the phenomenal forearm. Orton moved out of the way. Tried to pop up RKO, but couldn't do it. Styles hits roll up. Orton says, screw it, I'm getting the RKO anyways, and we have new Raw Tag Team Champions. This was a three links of boot anti match, fast-paced, fun opener. Glad to see the titles off of Omos and Styles, because to be honest, I was getting kind of bored with them. Really good stuff here to start off a SummerSlam card that may not necessarily have been nearly as great. Now we are got we got to get to what's causing all this and get to Eva Marie versus Alexa Bliss. Ah. <sighs> I just couldn't get into this one. This is one of two matches on the card I could care less about. And it was proven by this because it was a mess. 
So first, this is something I've been thinking about. And I probably have brought it up on the show before. I just can't remember for the life of me. But if Alexa Bliss can hypnotize people in storyline to do what they want, why not just hypnotize hypnotize every single opponent to lay down? Like, you don't need to be in the ring and taking bumps. You could just use your mind tricks to make the other person take a bump. And she should just be undefeated. But no, we actually have a full-blown match. Basic stuff. I think it was more just because Eva Marie is Eva Marie. She's never going to be that good in the ring. But you had at one point, Eva grabbed Lily, who was sitting on the corner, or the turnbuckle, I should say, and just started like slapping the doll. Do we really need to do this? No. Okay. Why are we doing this? It continues to happen, and we just continue to be just mind-boggled at all this. Bliss actually went for Twisted Bliss, but Mystic has even already moved out of the way, and she got a two-count, which shouldn't have happened. Then Alexa Bliss eventually wins with a DDT. Why did this have to happen? This is probably the worst match of the night in terms of matches that I could actually rate. We'll talk about that other match in a few. But this is one match that I could not, with all due respect, rate because I the match comes up later because it was too short. This was a decent amount of a match. I had to go with a two and a half star rating. Or links to Boonan rating, excuse me. Short and boring. But then we get post match stuff because we need that in a pay per view in twenty twenty one. So we get Dewdrop announcing Eva Marie as the loser, then leaves with Eva Marie's robe on. So now I guess they're broken up. But wait, they're not. Apparently, according to social media, they're going to try and resolve their issues. Just either crap or get off the pot, WWE. We don't need to see this in our lives. Get it the hell out of here. Next, we get to the U.S. Night. Next, we get to the United States Championship match. Damian Priest taking on Sheamus. And this was a match that was really good. It got better as it progressed. These two are big guys. And it wasn't like a big hoss match, but it felt that way at times. Priest at one point had a bad-looking dive that looked like it hurt him and kind of hampered him for a good bit of the match, but he was able to bounce back and be able to help this match like progress really well. And about the midway point, Priest avoids a broke kick that hits south of heaven for two. Goes for the disaster kick, but gets hit with the knee at 2.9, which looked great. Not as great as the bro kick that he hit at WrestleMania that damn near murdered Matt Riddle. That was just awesome. This really wasn't, and Priest kicked out at 2.9. Sheamus locked in a heel hook, but Priest is able to kind of rally. Eventually, he rips the mask off of Sheamus. He hits a spin kick to the dome and then hits the reckoning, the crossroads, whatever you want to call it. And we have a new United States champion. Three and three-quarter length Sabuda. It's not ever going to be a four-star match or a four-length Sabuda match, but it was pretty damn close. Great work. And got the crowd back in it because after that Alexa Bliss even rematch, you needed something to get you up. Then we get two Mysterios versus the Usos. This was a banger and was, at this point, I think match of the night contender for me. Rey Mysterio started off the match really strong. Tease an early 6-1-9, but Jimmy rolls out the way. Dominic had a weird-looking springboard 
and it looked like he wasn't necessarily going full speed, so that could have very well have hurt him a little bit more than it did, but still a really good match between these two. Mysterio hits the top rope senton, but, you know, Ray runs right into a super kick just seconds later, and they were working stiff here. It looked like things were just hitting hard. Usos go for the pop-up powerbomb, and it just was nuts to butts here from this point on. It was crazy. Ray hit Ray dumped Jimmy out the ring after they went for the pop-up Samoa drop. Jay connects with a super kick, and the splash doesn't get the win. Usos go for the two-post massacre, which is always great. Dominic runs interference. Jimmy goes for the splash, but Ray moves out of the way. Ray hits 619, goes for the splash, but Jimmy gets the knees up. Usos double-team meet in the middle, and then another splash. Usos retain the SmackDown Tag Team titles. They have put together some really good bangers. I mean, you had the match at Money in the Bank, which was really damn good. And then this. I think you can keep this story going for a little bit longer if we get this kind of quality every week. And then we get a musical performance to kill time from Rick Boos. Promoted the fact that Shinsuke Nakamura is your new Intercontinental Champion. Number one, that's cool. Number two, Rick Boogs rules. He's one of the favorite parts. And then you have, obviously, best part, Pat McAfee's in the freaking ring. And I was loving it at the announce table. So he's out there celebrating with him. That's the only reason why you need to have Rick Boogs out there, period. Now we get to the SmackDown Women's Championship match. It was supposed to be Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair, a WrestleMania rematch. But was pulled from the contest. Allegedly, due to COVID, there's no word if she actually had it, but the rumor is it was about that. I mean, hell, it could have very well have been, you know, the fact that she isn't currently vaccinated, allegedly. That's something else that was kind of making its way through the dirt sheets. I have no way of knowing. I don't know Sasha Banks from A Man on the Moon. I actually know who she is, but in terms of knowing her personally, I don't. I don't know anybody who knows her personally. But based off of rumor and innuendo, you can about imagine that her not being vaccinated could have played a role in her not being a part of some shows lately. Again, that's just from my perspective. So Bianca has a new opponent, and it's Carmella, friend of the program, and she was looking a certain way, and oh boy, I just sat there and said, I just nodded. Respectfully. And then, you know, they kept cutting to Bianca. She looked like she legit did not know that was going to happen. Mind you, why run the promo? Why run the graphic and act like it's going to happen? Then pull the ski woe and swerve and do that. But anyways, Mela is her opponent. Bianca says she's going to take out her frustrations on Carmella. Becky Lynch comes out. This was a massive pop. Not CM Punk or worthy because that was just on another level it was sustained it was crazy but the fans were going crazy for it and this more than made up for no Sasha Banks Becky immediately destroys Carmella like right away the fans are just eating this up Lynch immediately wins with the manhander suplex in like 30 seconds that's it it sucks to see Bianca losing like that but damn this pop was Worth it if you're the WWE. I'll talk about that in a second. Let me get my ranking for not the match, but the entire segment. Four links of Boudin. You had a swerve and then a swerve on top of a swerve, which it was weird, but I still liked it. It was still good. It still felt right. But I will say this. I've been very conflicted 
on this entire thing. And I understand a lot of signs to this story. And yes, they shouldn't have buried Bianca Belair in one fell swoop the way they did. But in terms of creative, they booked themselves into a corner because they had this idea probably planned at least like in the last 24 hours to have Becky Lynch return a little bit early so he can run this program while Sasha's doing whatever she's doing. If it's, you know, COVID-related or whatever, this is a situation you're going to have to kind of deal with. But it makes you wonder, like, how would you, if you were the booker, going to put this match together? First off, you have, for me, I think Bianca needs to be Carmella, five minutes. And then have Becky Lynch come out and set up Becky being the final boss for Bel Air and really establish Bel Air as one of those top faces in the entire company. That said, WWE's mission was accomplished. You need to remember the way WWE works than, as opposed to any other wrestling company. It's about the moments. Like, full stop. It's all about the moments if you're the WWE. And they got that. Whenever you go watch these video packages that are going to be playing for the inevitable rematch or two, three years down the road, when you look at the retrospective of the Bianca Belair, Carmella feud, or Becky Lynch feud, I guarantee you they're going to run that video, and you're going to remember, oh, hey, she lost like 30 seconds. You'll just remember the fact that people went absolutely eight bleep crazy for her, and that's the reaction WWE wanted. Now, yes, it was a bad look for WWE on the whole from a fan's perspective. But here's the thing. You got to like not think about what happened to Kofi Kingston because I think that's just a it to a certain extent it's almost a general, generalization of this situation. Because Kofi Kingston got jobbed in 2 seconds by Brock Lesnar, who was already a part-time guy, who you knew like once Kofi lost the title, he was going to get a rematch. Bianca's going to get her rematch and you're going to be able to tell a really good story out of this. Now it's up to creative to actually put together an honest to goodness good story, which is easier said than done with these two with these jabronis over there. But the fact that we'll get a rematch, where I don't think Bianca's going to get job, they could have a hot potato with the women's title. And honestly, I would not complain if we have really good matches. Now, according to the rumors, they're going to turn Becky Lynch heel. I don't like that idea. I don't like that idea. That's something I would absolutely say, nope, I'm going to pass on. I, again, I hate to say this word because people got really BH about it over the weekend. Let it play out. Let it play out. That's all you got to do. you got to give this thing a little bit time to simmer before you completely crap on the company. That's just the way I'm looking at it. And then after that, they decide to be completely tone deaf and announce Crown Jewel's back. No, I don't want to ever see this again, but we're going to get it. Damn it. And that plays into what happened the rest of the card. Jinder Mahal versus Drew McIntyre. And Drew squashed Jinder. I'm not going to go into much detail about it. It's a short, sweet, to the point, two links of Boudin match. Belonged a lot more on Raw than it did a Big Four pay-per-view. Or even a pay-per-view, period. Drew hit the Claymore after the Future Shock TDT for the three count. This is what lasted like five minutes. And then Veer and Shanky came out. McIntyre ran him off with his sword named Angela after his mother which is still a weird freaking thing. 
So we get to my least favorite thing of the night, besides Becky Lynch. It's Rhea Ripley, Charlotte versus Nikki A.S.H. Nikki, almost a superhero. The champion comes out first, and I continue to freaking hate that. Like, it just it despises me. This was a fine match. I just knew that they were going to screw this up. We talk about them screwing up Bianca Belair. They screwed up a really good storyline with the Nikki A.S.H., and they speed ran it. They speed ran this storyline into the ground. I think this team deserves a lot of credit for being able to screw up not one, but two women's divisions in one night. But this one is even more damning because now it just feels like we're going to get Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair again because you're not going to run back Charlotte versus Asuka again. And it just feels like there's nobody else there for her. What's the point of doing this hot potato dance? Because in the last few months, you've had Rhea Ripley win the title WrestleMania. She loses it to Charlotte. Charlotte loses loses it to Nikki A.S.H. Now you get a triple threat match and Charlotte wins the title with the figure eight on Nikki. It went on a little bit too long. It was a three and a half league of Buddha match, and I hated it because I knew what the end result was going to be. It's all about getting one Charlotte Flair over. And I'm tired of seeing Charlotte Flair continue to get over and win and win and win. It's like her 50,000 title she's won in the last year. I get it. She is a great talent. But I, I said it last year, and it continues to be true, and I don't know why. I am burnt out on Charlotte Flair. She has done the exact thing that made me hate wrestling in the early 2000s that Triple H did 20 years ago. Just keep everybody else down. Hell of a talent. Needs to stop doing the moonsault to the outside because she could have very well like concussed Nikki on that moonsault because it looked like Nikki suffered the worst that hitting the back of the damn barricade. I was like, what the hell's going on here? Not a great look. Three and a half looks of Boudin match, though. It was good in terms of the in-ring like talent and the match itself, but I just didn't like the ending. And the fact she actually won. Oh, my God. We're going to get to my favorite match of the night now. Seth Rollins versus Edge. Everybody on Twitter agreed. This was the match of the night. No doubt about it. First off, Rollins looked like he stepped out of a, like a JRPG with that jacket. Loved it. Then we get the brood entrance. And if you saw SmackDown the night before, he actually did a brood entrance. And that was absolutely, or not a brood entrance, but did the bloodbath. Or as Pat McAfee called it, the bloodbath. Or the broodbath, excuse me. But seeing that was awesome. Had the ring of fire. This was the absolutely the best entrance of the night and one of my favorite moments of the night. We get like half that, then the other half being Edge. But just everything about it, the, the jacket and everything. I want that to be bid off on an auction. I guarantee you that money is going to be absolutely through the roof. Probably more than the John Cena NFT, the Platinum. They only got like $21,000. Anyways, this was a really good match. Edge took over a little bit early on, had the early edge. Rollins started attacking the neck and slows the pace down. And he teased the stop about like 50 times. And every single time, Edge moved out of the way. Rollins at the frog splash for two and a half. And that was really cool. Then he teased the stomp again, rolls out of the ring. Edge at one point hits a like incredible swinging neck breaker off the top rope. Freaking awesome. Rollins hits a superplex Falcon Arrow for 2.9. Looked great. Again, this has been an amazing match at this point. Rollins, again, teased the stomp moves. 
Rollins tries for the pedigree, counters, hits the glam slam. I pop for that. That was a two and a half count. Rollins hits a rope, this is a neck breaker, tries to stomp on the apron, but Edge moves at the last second. Edge spears Rollins to the outside. Edge tries to hit it again. Rollins hits the pedigree for a 2.5. Rollins went for the Phoenix Splash. They call it the corkscrew moonsault. I'm sorry, it's the Phoenix Splash. Edge hit the spear for 2.99999. Edge countered the stomp. And the fact he actually had, like, Rollins' foot, he he turned around just caught his foot and then locked in the educator. That was freaking cool. Rollins rolled up Edge for two, but then Edge decides to lock in the crossface, and he wins. This is a five Lincoln Bude match that absolutely ruled. Best match of the night, but not quite the weekend. So before we get to the final two matches for the WWE and Universal Championship, respectively, we get... Miz and Morrison in the ring, and I'm tired of the damn water. The water puns. And they were unveiling something called the Dripstick 2000. And it turns out Xavier Woods had it, and him with the drip. He had like a NWA Wolfpack Scott Hall gear. He had basically the flood. If you're playing Super Mario Sunshine, you know what I'm talking about when I say the flood. He basically had that on his back. Everything about that I popped for. It was really good. It was hilarious. But at the same time, it's like, did we really need to see that on SummerSlam? You could have done it the next night whenever you're interviewing Logan Paul. You could have had him spray down Logan Paul, which would have been funnier. But whatever. Now we get to Goldberg versus Bobby Lashley, the almighty WWE Championship on the line. We get a call on an elbow to tie up to start the match. Goldberg immediately no-sells a shoulder tackle, then absolutely dominates from this point. Lashley, for some reason, teased the jackhammer. Couldn't. Goldberg tries to hit his, hurt his hurts his knee, STO by Lashley, and he just is smelling blood in the water. Lashley goes to the top, then gets yeeted all the way down to the ring, and he gets just thrown. It's like, what the hell? Goldberg tries to hit the spear, but MVP pulls him out. Goldberg gets his in anyway. MVP clocks Goldberg with the, the cane in his knee. And the Lashley just continues to attack the knee with the chop block. And he just dominates. The fans are absolutely loving this. They want Bobby to win so bad, and justifiably so. It was so damn good to see that. And he is absolutely reeling at this point after the... I, I don't know what he calls the move, but Lashley, whenever he... Puts the guy on his shoulders in the ring post. And I, I hate that move because it looks like he just absolutely kills Lashley. He does it twice. At this point, Goldberg can't even stand up and calls the match off. Ref stoppage. Lashley retains. Two links to Boudin. Just, it, it is what it is. It was short and very weird. Lashley after the match. We get to have even more afterbirth here. Because it's basically Lashley beating up the leg after a steel chair. And then Goldberg keeps trying to get up every time he does. Lashley turns around and starts beating the crap out of him even more. Next thing you know, Gage Goldberg, who is like a sophomore in high school apparently, he actually got out into the ring and tried to take down Lashley like a dummy. And then Gage gets put in the hurt lock, passes out in like mere seconds. And the fans are cheering this which was like hysterical in and of itself, just out of context, like what the hell just happened. Then we get to the main event, the Universal Championship, John Cena, Roman Reigns. This was top-tier Cena. 
he had the Super Mario Brothers 3 t-shirt, which is almost like a ripoff of CM Punk's Super Mario Brothers 3 t-shirt, and the 8-bit, you know, Titantron. I wanted that shirt. Crowd's hot for this. Reigns hits a shoulder tackle. Cena gets up. Quick roll up for two. And, I mean, this is the story of the entire match. Cena said it's only going to take him three seconds, so it felt similar a lot more to Triple H, Shelton Benjamin from Raw 2004 than it did anything else. There was a lot of back and forth, and Cena kept trying to just get that quick three because that's all he needed. Really good stuff in terms of storytelling. Cena later fought back after Reigns started taking it a little more seriously and was just whipping him like a government mule. But Cena rallied, tried getting the five moves to Doom in. Eventually hits a five-knuckle shuffle after getting stopped when he tries to go for it the first time. Then Reigns gets the guillotine. Then Cena turns it into a roll-up. Then Superman punch from Reigns. Cena then kicks Reigns to the face after he's going for the spear. Then Cena hits the five-knuckle shuffle. AA for two and a half. Cena puts Reigns in the STF. He reaches the ropes. Reigns and takes it to... Reigns takes it to the outside and hits the drive-by, which looked great. Then he went for the spear again, but Cena hit the AA through the announce table. I think went down in a heap, and it was really cool. Reigns went for Superman punch. We got a roll-up for two again. Then we got another move where Cena just basically keeps moving out of the way. And Roman hit a Superman punch for a two-count. Again, just absolute chaos from this point onward. And this was so good. I don't know why. It just hit different for me. And then you had an Avalanche AA Cena hit. And I believe this was only the second time this has ever happened. Someone kicked out of the Super AA. Only one person has ever done it, and that was AJ Styles. I believe that was at not the Royal Rumble match, but I think it might have been their SummerSlam match during uh, the first year of AJ Styles' run in 2016. Still, amazing stuff right there. And Reigns, Cena, exchange punches. Reigns still stands tall. Hits the spear finally. Again, it only takes one spear to beat somebody. That move has become protected like hell since he's been champion. And he retains the title. Four and a half links of Boudin, probably one of the best matches of the night. He proved himself once again to be the biggest star in the company. And this felt like his coronation. But wait, there's more. Brock Lesnar's back, ladies and gentlemen. Brock Lesnar officially back in the WWE after over a year away. And it was so good to see that as they went off the air. It was a mess of a show, but damn it, this is what I loved. I, I loved a lot of what this what happened. Mind you, I was still probably living off the high of CM Punk returning into the W into AEW's world. This was really fun. I'd probably say this is thumbs in the middle in terms of the way I like to rank things. It's a like five or six out of ten. It's right around like the middle range for me. I'd probably say almost a seven out of ten, if not for like the weird Becky Lynch thing. But it was a mess of a show overall. Everybody was going more thumbs down on the Twitter, but I think this definitely should have been an hour shorter. Take two matches off the main card. And this is probably an easy 8 out of 10 type stuff. We'll continue the conversation about the sport of pro wrestling with the Cajun Strong Style Podcast next with NXT TakeOver 36.
Pro Wrestling Center will not drag it off. Oh, to the back of the neck. Drag it off again with another forearm. And drag it off. Boxing the sleeper. Cross now. Oh! No way! Up, Joe! Buster! Buster! Hooks the leg! All right, let's talk some NXT TakeOver 36, which was an absolutely, like, palate cleanser. I feel like after a weird SummerSlam Saturday, which in and of itself was confusing, but I, I like the way they're thinking about doing things in the future because Nick Khan talked about a lot on his interview with Ariel Hawani. We'll play a clip from that a little bit later on in the podcast. But it was really cool to hear his conversation with Ariel Hawani talking about potentially moving some shows around if need be, if it feels like there's an opening to where they could take full advantage of it. So I'm all the way here for it. So we start off with Trey Baxter, Rich Holland. I'm not going to really put a rating on this. This is like, I'd say two and a half links of boot because it's just, it was average. And the fact that it was just all about putting Rich Holland over. Good enhancement match. And, you know, in the case of Holland, I think he's going to have a much bigger role in the new NXT, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later on in the pod. Now we get to the main event, or the main card, I should say. The main event's not till much later. But we get to Cameron Grimes versus LA Knight for the Million Dollar Championship. And Grimes throwing the, like, butler attire was really cool. Love that. Then we get to see a really fun match between these two. But it's like, this is something I, I continue to not talk about. Blood feuds always start out col- collar and elbow tie-up. Wouldn't you have this be these two just punching each other and immediately just trying to go after each other? But no, we got to wait for them to actually start just wailing on each other. And the match really starts to pick up as they go to the outside. Grimes had a great drop kick while Knight was set up on the ring steps assisted by Ted DiBiase, and this is where Wade Barrett was tremendous as a heel commentator. LA Knight takes over. Fans are just booing him like crazy, and it's justified because Grimes is probably the most over guy on the NXT roster, not named Samoa Joe. Grimes rallies, hits a big Yakuza kick to the corner, tries to put in the million-dollar dream, but Knight gets out of it. Then you have a German suplex and Hurricane Rana by Grimes for two. Knight kills the momentum with a like a modified-looking burning hammer. I, I don't know if that was actually the burning hammer. I was debating this in my head for about like two hours. But I'm almost certain this was the closest thing we'll ever get to the burning hammer in WWE ever again. I know Brian Kendrick did it, but I felt like that was pretty damn close to what we've seen over in Japan. And it actually looks safer. So you have that happen. Then you had a weird botched spot here. It was a very clear three count. So Grimes finally locks in the million dollar dream. Teased it all match long. He locks it in. Knight eventually tries to do the Mr. Perfect spot with Roddy Piper. Or Bret Hart, Roddy Piper. I can't remember which one it is, but I think it's Bret Hart Piper. Where he runs up the turnbuckles and flips over the rope. And he gets the three count. But the ref botches it because it's it's not supposed to be the finish. 
And she goes, one, two. And you can see she's like, damn it, I'm going to have to count this. And she counts it, and Grimes kicks out, and it's like, it's a two count. It was not a two count. She messed that up beyond belief. And I was like, what the hell? Took me out of the match. But Knight tries to get the belt, then the ref stops him. DiBiase eventually locks in the Million Dollar Dream while Grimes is distracted. And then Grimes hits the cave-in. He's the new Million Dollar Champion, three and a half links of Boudin. Good stuff. Clunky finish, but still a good match. But the botched finish of the Million Dollar Dream sucked it out of me. NXT Women's Championship, Dakota Kai, Raquel Gonzalez. This was a fine match. Gonzalez really, again, it's a constant showcase of her strength. Because all the other girls in NXT are a lot smaller than her. So she can just, like, throw people around like a mother. And she was, like, taking full advantage of that with somebody like, you know, Dakota Kai, who is so small. Kai started fighting back after Gonzalez tweaked her arm on a military press, at least somewhat. But she was still able to throw Kai, like, one more time before Dakota started fighting back, hitting a Yakuza kick, hitting the arm. Then Raquel still went to the outside. And Kai got into the count of nine, which made her look kind of like a geek. But it was justified because the fact that, again, Raquel's so overpowering, she couldn't, like, get into the ring on her own. She had to basically, she was sandbagging her, and you could tell. But it was a great way to put it together. Then Kai just started working her and kicking like crazy. Rope assist a code breaker for two, which looked great. Raquel Gonzalez fought back. Countered the scorpion kick with a great sit-out powerbomb. Kai went again with the Yakuza kick, but this time on the top rope, then Gonzalez capture with the super choke slam move, whatever, for the win, which looked amazing in and of itself. Three and a half links of booty. I wanted to give it four, but just couldn't. Story told the ring was good, though, in terms of like selling the injury. Kaylee Ray makes a surprise appearance in the CWC, and she'll be the next contender for the NXT Women's title, which is going to be great because... Kegel has put on some bangers over in the NXT UK brand, which makes you wonder, is this the beginning of the end for that brand? Speaking of which, now we get to the NXT UK title match. Walter versus Ilya Dragunov, part two. And quite literally, this match slapped. This was the match of the year for WWE. I don't think they will ever be able to top this. Hard-hitting as hell, great spots. And it just felt like it was never going to end the way you wanted it, where Walter was going to retain and continue his epic reign. But nope, we got to see Dragunov make Walter tap. And tapped out to the sleep roll, which was weird in and of itself. I got in a conversation with somebody about that, but I'm like, it's not that weird. We've seen people tap out to a chokehold. Be it the Kikina clutch, the Taz mission, you know, whatever. We've seen it for years. So it shouldn't be that strange to see a man tap out on a sleeper. It's a little different, but it worked. Five links to Bune, I wanted to up it more, but I said, nope, we're waiting for something like super special. But this is probably like, I'd say very much contender for match of the year, period. I'd probably say there's one or two matches that may be coming up that could beat that. 
Now we get to Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly. Two out of three falls, the undisputed finale. The first fall was just a normal match. And it was quick. Like I was very much blown away by how quick this actually went. Because all of a sudden, Kyle O'Reilly rolled up Adam Cole after trying to hit the Panama Sunrise like five minutes in. And he went up one nothing. Then we get to the second fall of the match. And this was a really good story being told. And this happened the rest of the way. Where O'Reilly was on the top rope. And then Cole pushed him off. And he wound up landing like right on the turnbuckle or the, the gap between the turnbuckle and the post. And it destroyed O'Reilly's midsection, which, again, looked like a great spot in and of itself. And he was just selling that the rest of the match. And it felt like you were going to see O'Reilly lose the next two falls, especially after you saw O'Reilly land on top of two chairs, spine first, and then the last shot were back up tied one-to-one. Maddox immediately stormed the ring. Cole takes over again. He throws him outside. Power bombs him on the table. Doesn't break, but it's still a cool spot. And somehow, some way, the match continues. Cole is just demolishing him. Makes you think that it's just going to be over. Cole's going to win. Dominant match from Cole and O'Reilly. And the finish was really good. All of a sudden, Cole hits the Panama Sunrise for two. Then he pulls out some handcuffs out of his trunks and cuffs O'Reilly to the rope while he's hanging outside the dam you know, on the other side near the cage, just starts wailing on him. All of a sudden, O'Reilly just basically, he rallies back and gets a heel hook one-handed for the win. This was an amazing match. I was disappointed this was just the co-main. And if this was the last time we see Cole in a WWE ring, that was a hell of a way to go out. Then we get to the main event, Samoa Joe versus Karrion Cross. And the fans honestly cared more about Scarlett than they ever did about Cross during his actual entrance. They chanted Hardy on him and everything. And it was a little bit of a slower match, but it picked up the pace. was definitely a traditional Haas fight. Really good stuff here. And overall, liked a lot what I saw from this match. And, of course, Samoa Joe wound up winning with the Muscle Buster. And I popped for that in and of itself because I'm a huge fan of of Joe hitting the move every single time. Just some fun stuff. It's a four-link of Boudin type match. And again, WWE knows how to book NXT probably a little bit better than the main roster because it's basic storytelling. Just give us some damn good matches, and it works. I think the rest of WWE needs to take notice. of an NXT rebrand, look for it. In the next couple of weeks, it's going to have a whole new look. It's going to have a whole new feel. And we believe, because a lot of the indie wrestlers, if you will, have come through our system and are in our system with SmackDown and Raw now, we don't want to just keep doing that same thing. We want to look elsewhere for great young talent. All right, welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. That was Nick Khan talking about the future of NXT. And this is something I didn't necessarily get a chance to talk about because I was just away for the last couple weeks. Not not due to COVID, but it was just like the last couple weeks have been a mess for me and also trying to still get in the rhythm of doing the new job that I'm doing within Delta Media. It's a little different. 
but I'm almost certain we're going to see this thing get a lot better down the road. But when I saw Nick Khan had an interview with Arahawani, I listened to it, and there was a lot of interesting takeaways. But sticking strictly with NXT, because I think that's definitely something we are talking about a lot more, because what does the future hold for the black and yellow brand? It feels like we're going to go more in the direction of OG NXT, basically 2012 to 2015-ish. Like, Yes, there's probably some indie talents that are there, but it won't be as laden with like these megastars like a Adam Cole, Shinsuke Nakamura, Bobby Roode, etc., etc. There's going to be a lot of guys that you're just wondering what the future holds for some of these other guys, like a Johnny Gargano, like a Tommaso Ciampa. What's going to be going on with those guys? Where do they go? Candice LeRae? I mean, there's is the edict came out a few weeks ago. Don't know how much truth there is to it, but you hear the statement, no midgets, no guys over 30 being in NXT, and yet we have a champion that's, I'd say, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in his 40s in Samoa Joe, and we've got probably a lot of other guys that have been in the WWE that work really well in their 30s. That's kind of your peak in terms of pro wrestling. It's weird. But the way Nick Khan worded it was, you know, where you've got plenty of these indie darlings already on the main roster, why not have this be entirely different? Have it be these guys that have experience in other parts of life and go ahead and throw them into the ring and see how it works and see how they work. People like Casey Catanzaro, who we've seen featured a lot in the WWE. Not as much anymore because, well, you know, she's been very, I think she's been very clearly skewed towards one direction in this pandemic debate, which we'll just leave it at that. But it was wild to think that this is the direction they're going to go after years of being built as a home for the internet darlings. Now it's going to be more homegrown talent. That way you can have them work the traditional, and air quotes here, traditional style of the WWE. And you do things their exact way rather than have influence from the independent scene. It's interesting to see how that's all going to turn out, especially after all the releases they've had. Bray Wyatt, a lot of other guys that are recent NXT guys, the guys who probably had a really good shot at making the main roster and making an impact, guys like Bronson Reed. It was mind-boggling, but again, in the grand scheme of things, it's what Vince wants, I think. He wants to have it be more like all the other shows and have it be a developmental in the sense that these this is the direction we're going to go. We're going to go ahead and push these guys that are homegrown. Nobody knows a whole heck of a lot about, but hey, we're going to go ahead and give them this opportunity rather than rely on getting indie talents and pay them this kind of money to be like your top stars in this brand and be there for in the case of guys like, you know, you look at it. Most of the NXT roster has been dominated by the Undisputed Era, Pete Dunne, all these guys, for years. And they've stayed in that kind of, like, plateau. That's not how you're going to wind up making the company better. I understand a little bit more what they're going through, but it's mind-boggling that they aren't just completely, like, spinning, like, 
giving it an absolute chance to grow a brand like organically. But WWE doesn't want to do that. WWE wants to basically say, hey, what we're giving you on Raw, what we're giving you on SmackDown, go ahead and amplify that times 10 with NXT now. Because it'll be very much WWE style, not the indie style. They'll still have compelling stories, but I feel like those will be few and far between. We'll be seeing less Johnny Gargano's and more, you know, I, I could throw out there, hypothetically, Gable Stevenson's of the world. Those kind of guys. We'll be seeing more of that as opposed to anything else that the WWE has done in the last several years. But that's about all the time I got for you this week. We'll be back next Monday with another great edition of the Cage Strong Style Podcast. Until next time, enjoy the wrestling and make sure you subscribe to us however you get your podcast, as well as getting in on the action and leaving a five-star review because that is absolutely appreciated on Apple Podcasts, as well as following us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Cajun Strong Style. You can check us out over there. And also on Twitter, at Cajun Strong Pod. Once again, back next week. So keep it locked right here on your home for pro wrestling talk on 103.7 The Game, the Cajun Strong Style Podcast.